unfiltered, unscripted, and uncut. Cassie Sharp, three-point advantage over second spot. Hey, uh, Vancouver Island represent Comox. Growing up, going down Mount, Mount Washington, Washington, baby. Woo! This is Homestand Headline. Tyler Kelleher with you on Homestand Headlines, joined again by Michael Reeve in studio. You're basically just becoming a mainstay here. You were supposed to come for one week, and you're just coming on back, man. Yeah, you're going to start paying me a retainer or something? I'm, I'm here every week. I thought I was paying you in, in company and friendship, no? Hey, you're going to the same school I am, man. I got student loans. I know. <laughs> I enjoy the free labor, though. Thank you for the work. I actually appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Nothing better to do on my week off. And I get to torture you with the opening segment. Because you know what I'm going to open up with. Does it happen to do anything with golf? Absolutely. Tiger Woods just came off the course at the Valspar Championship after the second round shot a 68. He was tied for the lead in the clubhouse. Now, Corey Connors, Canadian. Listable. There you go. He's actually, he was seven under uh, at the turn. Now he's five under. He had a triple bogey, or excuse me, a double bogey. And he's at five under right now. So a one shot lead. We're going to keep, I guess, updating on that as the, as it goes on. But, yeah, he's currently through 15, so rooting for the Canadian. Wish him all the best. Hopefully he can go uh, deep in the during the weekend. But? But, dude, Tiger Woods <laughs> is four freaking under at a tournament that he's never played before in his competitive pro career. At one of, and it's, it's at Copperhead in Tampa Bay, one of the hardest tracks on tour. Never played it competitively, and he's a shot off the lead through two rounds. The most surprising thing about this story is the fact that he's never played Copperhead before. The amount of years that Tiger was just the most dominant golfer slash athlete on this planet. And to think that there's a there's a track out there. There is a golf course in America. This isn't middle of nowhere. There's a golf course in America that he's never played professionally before. Yeah, because... It's shocking to me. But you don't play every single week. I understand like that, you, but you would have thought during his illustrious career, maybe, maybe once he goes there. But... It's, not. it's because of where it's slotted in the season. Uh, from January to April, every single tournament he plays is all preparation for the Masters. And you think about the tournaments that he's been committed to. We're talking about the Farmers Insurance at Torrey Pines. He's won at that course eight times, including a U.S. Open in 2008. Um, then the Arnold Palmer Invitational, he, of course, had a great uh, relationship with Arnold Palmer. He's won there a record eight times. So, you know, that as well. He just started playing the Honda Classic again. He had that great... Historic run in 2012 when he almost caught Rory McIlroy. He missed out uh, by a couple strokes. Rory became number one in the world that week. So there's a lot of tournaments that he com- commits to during this part of the season. So to throw in Tampa Bay as well, it's a lot. But he's he's upped his workload, surprisingly, during this prep for the Masters. It's all, it's so funny how he talked about his physical well-being and his back holding up. And it's not like he's, he's playing decent golf and limiting his workload and being careful because he doesn't want to hurt himself. He's playing more tournaments. He committed to back-to-back weeks after PGA National finishing with a top 12. He's playing this week at the Valspar. He's playing next week at the Arnold Palmer. They asked him at PGA National, what are you going to do during this time off? How are you going to prep? And he goes, I'm going to work out. I'm going to work on my fitness, get in even better shape. He's not rehabbing his back or anything. He's going full balls to the wall, pedal to the metal, and he's playing really good golf, and he's at no means at the top of his game right now. I think that's probably almost the best thing for him is – to just go out there and golf. Mm-hmm. I mean, com- from a completely amateur standpoint, 
unless I'm golfing every week, every couple weeks, I'm not getting better at all. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I am a terrible golfer, but during the summer, by the end of the summer, I'm normally playing a heck of a lot better than I was at the start because of just all those reps. No matter what you do, it's all about reps. We're getting preached that at this school every day, every hour, every minute. Get some more reps. I, I don't mind it. Tiger Woods, go out there, get some reps. You're only going to, you can't get professional golf reps unless you're out there golfing in a professional tournament. Well, feel is the name of the game, and that's why I've been so excited to see him come back and how he's been playing, because from the moment he got back on tour this season, his short game and his putting has been on point. And for the most part, that's the last thing that comes to a golfer when they come back from a long hiatus. Usually, you know, irons can get figured out pretty quickly. You get your trajectories right, your feel, your your go-to shots, your hit and cut fades, whatever you want to do. But from the for the most part, every single course is different that you play throughout the week. You have bent grass, Bermuda grass. The greens are different. So feel is the last thing to usually come back. He's had it from the second he came back. So the real question is, first off, do you think he can win this week? And if he doesn't, do you think he can win this year? Uh, this week? I mean, maybe he's right there. He's he's T2, is he not? He's T2 right now. He's T2. He's but one there's, shot there, there, back. There's, there's, a decent, there's a decent contingent of golfers really close to the lead. It's not like he's up there just with Corey Connors and they're kind of doing their own tournament. There's still a lot of names and a lot of people that come moving day tomorrow are going to be really in this competition. So do I think he could win? Maybe. I don't personally see it. How can see you? You're such a hater, man. We, we, you're such a lover. Here's I the thing. Even you out. Here's the thing that listeners don't know. We've been arguing about this since topic. the day we met. Yes. <laughs> so almost two years now, we've been arguing about this. And I, I, it blows my mind because at first when this whole conversation started, this was back when he had like four surgeries in two years or whatever it was, and he could hardly walk and he wasn't playing at all. And it was easy for you to be like, he's not winning at all. And I, I just stick with my gut and say, this is arguably the most dominant athlete to ever walk on the planet. He, no Him one, and Serena Williams. Yes. No one has revolutionized. But here's the difference, though. No one's revolutionized a sport like Tiger Woods has revolutionized golf. Because of him, you have guys like Dustin Johnson on tour, these monsters. Gary Woodland was a college basketball player. Now he plays in the PGA Tour. You know, he brought athletes and performers on tour, and he made it an athlete's game and a physical game, and everybody's training now. And the, the domination that he's had throughout his career is it's unbelievable, his win rate. You don't see that in the game of golf, and he made it like a video game. And this is why... When he has a hiatus and he's hurt and he's losing, the world loses their minds because no one's used to seeing him not dominating. Phil Mickelson just won a World Golf Championship at 47 years of age. He hadn't won a tournament since 2013. No one blinks an eye at that, the fact that he hasn't won in forever. He's older than Tiger. He also hasn't had multiple back surgeries. Well, he deals with really bad arthritis, and he's not yes. in good shape I, at I, all. I, it's not. He's obviously not in peak physical condition. But, but you understand how no one even makes that a, a conversation when, when they talk about Phil Mickelson. Rory McIlroy was the former number one golfer in the world. He's a four-time major winner. He dropped out of the top ten world golf rankings. No one talks about that right now. That's because I think golf, since the Tiger days, has become so much of a, a broader competition. There's so many more names that week in, week out, can go and compete for that title. When Tiger Woods was in his absolute prime, you were betting Tiger Woods or the field. Those yeah, the, but that was the bets, right? Mike, Mike, the whole there is not a golfer in the world right now that I would take versus the field. 
But that's how it was. That's be- what I'm saying. Before and after. That, that's why there's so many good golfers now that if a player's fluctuating a bit because he's had a bad year or a bad season, it's not as shocking as when it would be back in the day because there's so many names of guys that can go win a tournament now. Yeah, I know. That, and that's good for golf. That's what I'm saying. If a guy drops out of the top 10, yes, I understand. Big name, but it's not as shocking as it would have been back in the day. But that's not a slight on Tiger. That no, he was not. so good that it was him against the field. And no. it was him against the field. We're, we're talking about a guy who in the 2000s would win when he wasn't playing well. That's how good he was. He went seven straight years without missing a cut. He would have his C game or his B game or his D game with him, and he'd still win. We're talking about a guy... Uh, you know, a lot of the of your argument was the fact that you were there'd be worry of of another injury that could set him back. This guy won the U.S. Open injured with a ruptured ACL, the hardest tournament in the world to win. He won it while injured, right? He was just Player of the Year in 2013. He won eight events from 2012 to 2013. So he's a different animal. He's a different beast. He's only he's in his early 40s. He's 42, I think, 41 or 42. Well, president of the Tiger Fan Club can't tell me his exact birthday. I know, well, I know it's uh, December 30th. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's 42, I think. But uh, he's a different beast, man. Yeah, Corey Connors just made birdie. He's now six under through 16 holes, so he's two under on the round. He's got a two-shot lead over Paul Casey, Kelly Craft, Ryan Palmer, Brant Snedeker, Tiger Woods, then Jason Kokrak's at three under, so on. But uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. And the shots that he's been hitting... This week, I've been phenomenal. He had a ridiculous shot in the first round. He hooked it into the trees, and he, he the ball was like two feet from a tree, and he had to hit this low hook to the green, and he, and the follow-through, the club, just smashed into, into a tree. Th- those are the shots you'd really be worried about a Tiger Woods on, like those shots where you're hitting a tree in your backswing on the vibrations. The, no, the follow-through. The follow-through, yeah, exactly. The follow-through, the vibrations. If I didn't see him make that shot. If he can start, if he's hitting shots like that with confidence, that that goes a long way to Tiger Woods' game. Because back even last year, if he was in that same position, he would not have struck stroked that ball with any I think confidence. He would. Because he no, but I think he would have known if he hit that tree on his follow through and the vibration goes down through his body like it will. He may have thought, I don't know if I can do this health wise. The fact that he's taken that shot without blinking, I think that's a real strong say, and that maybe Tiger is. Uh, the progression in his physical well-being. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, um, and, and just the, the mental strength that takes to commit to that golf shot, knowing you're about to smash a club into a tree, and exactly. he hit his hand on the trunk too. So, listen, his, his iron play has been great. His driving has been a little sporadic as the season started. That's something that you can get back. That should be the least of your worries. If you're putting well and you're chipping well, he led the field in proximity to the hole at. Uh, PJ National at the Honda Classic. He also led the field in swing speed. So he's not a broken down old man that's hitting at 250. He's he's been bombing drives like 340 off the tee, not on average, but he's <laughs> been a, he's been averaging a ridiculous swing speed. He can get it over 300 no problem. And this all gets pushed to the Masters. So we're talking about a guy who's three wins back of Sam Snead for the record for most PGA Tour wins. He's got 79 career wins. Sam Snead has 82. And then Jack Nicholas has 18 majors for the record for major wins. Tiger's got 14. I don't think he's touching that one. I'm not saying he's going to... Even you yeah. have to probably agree he's not getting to the major record. But I'm also not saying he won't ever win a major again. I, I don't think he's not going to win four, though. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a whole different... That's a that's whole... A beast. No, yeah. 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 Could, could he have a great four days and win a major? It could happen. He's Tiger Woods. He's the former best athlete in the world. Can he do that four more times before he... 
rides off into the sunset. And that's just a tie. You need five for the outright. Mm-hmm. That, now that he is, thinks he thinks he can do it. He's been interviewed several times. In the, recently? Yes. He still thinks he can do yes. it. Yes. Wow. He was asked. I, I totally forget who Believe was interviewing Believe in yourself, him. eh? I that's all he does yeah. since he started. He's always been like, you show up to win. Why even show up if you're not going to win? He's always been scripted. And that's why he pulls off these ridiculous shots that no one else can because he just knows he's going to pull it off. And that's kind of, you know, listen, I, I always talk about this. I grew up in Florida. I spent seven years playing golf in Florida. I played tournament golf. I played competitive golf, high school, collegiate. I, I played golf. I was a golfer. It's my thing. That's why I love Tiger Woods so much. You almost have to trick yourself into believing that you're pulling off whatever you're hitting. Most weekend warrior golfers who are like double digit, triple digit handicap, triple digit handicaps, double digit handicaps. Me. <laughs> they they have so many swing thoughts in their head and they're like, hey, don't skull it, don't chunk it. You have water on the right, don't slice it to the water on the right. You have to kind of sit behind the ball and just know before you even hit the shot that you pulled it off. That's kind of the you're tricking yourself almost. Or another trick would be a lot of people hit a terrible shot and they just drop another ball and hit it again. And the second time they hit it, it's great because they don't care because the shot that counts in their round was already hit. Almost tell yourself that your first shot was really a second ball you just dropped. Anyway, he kind of just gives himself this whole mental edge because he has that confidence and that, and that killer mentality, which makes him so good. But the reason why I think he can win one, if not more majors, is because you have the Masters. It's at Augusta every single year. He knows every single bump and oscillation and undulation and break and turn of that course. He, he knows every blade of grass on that course. Angel Cabrera won it in like 2009, and he was like, he was older. He almost won it again in 2013. He lost to Adam Scott in a playoff. Angel Cabrera, he's not exactly a monument of physical perfection. You know, we're talking about... Fred Couples is always at the top of the leaderboard through two rounds like every year. It's well, like it's Tom, like an anomaly. Tom, what about Tom Watson making those deep runs? Tom Watson almost won the 09 British Open. Yeah. He lost to Stuart Sink in a playoff. He had a putt to win it and he missed it. He, he bogey. I, I can't remember how old he was at the time, but he was not a young cat. No. He would have been the oldest major winner in history if he yeah. won that. I mean, yeah, it can happen. There is precedent. And 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 the the physique that Tiger has and the athletic ability he has, I think puts him on top. Yeah, shredded. Jack Nicholas won the Masters when he was 46. You know? So I'm not ruling him out in terms of the Masters. I'm not saying he'll ever win a U.S. Open again. I'm saying he could. I'm not saying he will, though. But with Augusta National, a course that he knows all so well that he can contend at almost year in, year out. He's won there four times. You're always going to go back to Augusta. The Masters will never come out saying, hey, we're going to switch up venues for the next couple of years. It'll never happen. It'll so it, It'll <laughs> never happen. So every year he'll play Augusta, and not to mention his schedule revolves around the majors. He doesn't he doesn't show up, and obviously he wants to win every tournament he's in, but it's all preparation for the four majors of the year, and that's basically it. So Tiger Woods, four under through two rounds. Uh, I think he's going to make a good push. This weekend, I would not be surprised if he won. Corey Connors, I'm rooting for him. Canadian kid, two shot lead through 16 holes. It's all gonna be about how his nerves go going into a weekend being that's the leader thing. in a PGA event. That's the thing. I mean, I'll, I'll w- would love to see the Canadian kid bring it home. Mm-hmm. I would too. I would too. I would not be disappointed whatsoever if he finished nine under on Sunday and won, and Tiger finished seven or eight under. Would not be disappointed. I. Wish all the best for Corey Connors. But for the most part, in the history of the PGA Tour, whoever leads an event after the first or second round doesn't usually come out 
with the victory, especially if it's an unknown guy who hasn't been in the situation before. Yeah, yeah, yeah he doesn't know what leading's like going into a weekend, being in that final group tomorrow on moving day, mm-hmm. having to watch everyone put up scores and have to go up and at least match it. It's going to be a lot of pressure on the young kid, and hopefully Connors can pull through and bring another victory for Canada. Canada's got a pedigree winning this one. Hadwin won the Valspar last last year, so... Mm-hmm. Why not keep the keep the trophy up north? Keep it going. Uh, basketball news, man. Talk about a big game for the Raptors taking on the Houston Rockets. Uh, Rockets have won 17 straight. Toronto's won six straight. OG and Anobi and Delon Wright will be out uh, for this game. That hurts. Yeah, that really hurts because well, OG's your starter, mm-hmm. so you go and probably Norm. I, I see. I mean, the worst part is this is going to get put out tomorrow, so I might sound like a complete moron by saying I think Norm Powell's going to get the start. And Anobi's got an ankle issue. He's been out the last four games. Toronto still won six straight. That's uh, true. But right with a toe. Yeah, he kind of hurt that a couple games back, then re-injured it. So good idea just to sit him down. But it was those are your two your two five-man units are what's been working so well for the Raptors. Now you're down to two four-man units, and who's going to fill in? Like I said, probably a Norman Powell. And hey, he had a great game against Detroit. I can't take anything away from him. He played really well. So hopefully, maybe that was the game he needed to finally get his mojo back, get his confidence back. And maybe he's going to go and shoot the lights out. At yeah, ACC. but if the Raptors lose to Houston or any team for that matter, most of the time it won't be because OG and Anobi didn't make his presence felt in the game. No, but he is part of that five-man unit that's been so I understand the, the continuity, the familiarity. Yep. I get it. I get it. It's it's not like he's out for the first game tonight, though, no, against the Rockets. But, They've been out, but he's been out him for four days. But having him and DeLon is what I'm saying. It's, it's, I know. It's big switches to both of your, your normal units, and should be interesting maybe who's going to get some more minutes, and it could just be in one of those games where DeMar and Kyle are going to have to play 38, 40 minutes. I want to know, like, what do you think of the storyline here? You're talking about a Toronto team who's trying to make a push for the playoffs and go to the finals against a team who has arguably the soon-to-be MVP in James, James Harden, Harden. Yep. and they've won 17 straight. It seems like Houston has everything to lose. They're the team that's the powerhouse that's won 17 straight. I think the, the Raptors need to win this one, not because it puts a win in the win column and gives them that little bit more separation from Boston. They need to win this one for the critics. So mm-hmm. many people are like, who are, who's coming out of the East? They go, oh, well, you know, Cleveland, Boston, maybe Washington. Toronto doesn't even get mentioned. It's because Toronto yeah. has, I mean, everyone always talks about Toronto's playoff failures. They went six games against Cleveland in the conference finals. Do people forget about that? Yeah, but that's like, it. Yeah, I know. I know that's it. But, like, I don't know if that's considered a choke, losing to Cleveland last, losing to Cleveland in six. But regardless... And it was, it was two years ago. Yes. they got swept by Cleveland the year before. Yes, I mean, or I mean, yeah, three years back. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, last year they yeah. got swept yeah. by Cleveland. It's so, that's the thing. Yeah, they they need to win for their. So maybe the critics can start saying because like Toronto swept the floor with Boston, then they swept it with Cleveland. They blew both those teams out. If they can beat Houston tonight, with two guys on the shelf. People are going to have to start giving them some credit, no? I think they're starting to get some credit they're starting in to get the a U.S. Little, people are talking about them. There a little are a few, bit more. Yeah. All, all they ever talk about is, well, prove it in the playoffs. And I understand that. You do have to 
This is be- yeah, basketball because is the Mike, biggest that's prove it. it in the playoffs. That's, that's what I was about to say. Out of the four major sports, basketball is the playoff yeah. sport. And people are like, they're built for a regular season because they're ten men, sometimes even eleven men deep coming in that rotation. And b- basketball teams don't do that in the playoffs. I understand that, but that doesn't mean the Raptors can't do that in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They can still go deeper, limit the minutes of that second five man unit. They're not going to be playing as heavy a workload because Kyle and Demar, and you want those guys getting closer to 38, 40 minutes in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you have to just bench your team because it's how basketball works. You shorten your bench in the playoffs. Like, so what? See, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a statement game for Toronto. Yeah, just to the point yeah. to say you're snapping a 17-game win streak by you know the hottest team in the league with the MVP, presumed to be MVP, a team that can go to the finals. If you beat them, that's a big deal. On Houston's point of view, they're just thinking... Okay, so we lost one game through 18 games. We lost one against Toronto, whatever. And Toronto is the best home Home team in the NBA. So, yeah, for Houston, obviously they're they're coming to keep that win streak going. But yeah, for Toronto, it's it's not about the win. It's about the critics and and winning this one for morale and saying, you know what, yeah, we're this good. We've arrived. Mm -hmm. Give give us the respect we deserve. Mm -hmm. That's how I see this game tonight. I want to see what Harden does. He drops 35 points, which he seems to do every single game. Yeah. See, see if they can actually try to limit him a little bit. You're not gonna, you're not gonna shut him down, but yeah. you can limit him, or you limit, you limit everyone else. You shut everyone else down and just have him go on a spree, but it's not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shut down Paul. Shut, shut down his secondary pieces. If his secondary pieces are putting up low amounts of points. He's going to have to do something outrageous to carry that team to a victory. Can he do it? Absolutely. He's an MVP for or MVP candidate and front runner for a reason. But if you're going to lock down everyone else, I'm probably betting on the Raptors. It's going to be a fun game regardless, though. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to watch. Moving on to some hockey now. The Maple Leafs are taking on the Pittsburgh Penguins tomorrow on Saturday. Austin Matthews, man... <laughs> It's like all over the headlines that he's back on the ice and practicing. Like, who cares, man? You really think he's going to be back anytime soon? He's wearing a non-contact jersey. This is how you make a return from injury anyway. He's not playing tomorrow against Pittsburgh. Nope. He's probably not going to play, man, how, like, how long do you think? Two weeks? A why, week and a half? Why are we even discussing rushing him back? Why it would you want matter. him back? They have 14 games left. Why not have him back for like the last five games yeah, of the regular exactly. That's season? That's all you need. I mean, if, if he is 100% healthy, bring him back before then. Yeah. Otherwise, just let him get his feet wet again before they go into a first-round series against either Tampa or Boston. Now, if the losing streak continues really bad, at some point there might be a bit more motivation and obligation to bring him back earlier on. Well, they're, they're, they're essentially locked into that third place position. I know, but I know, but you can't have a team losing... 8 of 10 or something. You just can't do that going into the playoffs. You, you, you want to talk about getting hot going into the playoffs, not going cold, and, and, you, and you think your your star sentiment's okay, but you're not playing him yet. You just want to rest, rest them. Players will be like, what the hell? Get him back on the ice. Now, the Leafs have lost four straight games. I'm not, I'm not worrying too much about that. I'm not worried at all. Because all four were without Austin Matthews. The first two, uh, the first one was against Tampa Bay. They went to overtime. And lost to him in overtime. The second one was a back-to-back against Florida. They deserved to win that game. They brutally outplayed the Panthers in the second and third period. Also an overtime game. With your backup in net. Yeah. And you you outplayed them 
in the second and third period. I think they deserve to win that game. I'm not really taking that one into account. The stadium series, what are you going to do about that? It's an outdoor game. Your jerseys looked like crap. They looked like Tic Tacs or commercial painters or something. They looked terrible. Commercial painters. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. They looked awful. Um, and then the fourth game was just a, I don't know, what are you going to do about that? Buffalo, a team you should have beat. But like two of the goals that they scored were funky. One of them bounced off a skate and just and caught Anderson by surprise and banked him off a post. Another one, Hainsey banked off the referee that went straight to O'Reilly, who just put it home. Hey, better go on a losing streak now than in 15 games time when you're in the playoffs. Right. And Andre Vasilevsky's coming out saying he's tired. You're talking about the Bruins who have McAvoy out and Bergeron out. You know, all three teams at the top of the Atlantic are dealing with adversity. What are you going to do? They're all locked in, though, to go to the playoffs. Yeah, McElhaney needs to get some more starts. Yes. That's, that, that should be priority numero uno mm-hmm. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, Austin, making Austin Matthews is 100% healthy, priority one. Priority two, getting Frederick Anderson some damn rest. He says he feels good, though. Yeah, I, what, what else is he going to say? Are, yeah, you think he's going to come out and tell us, yeah, they're overworking me, I'm really tired, and I'm getting fatigued? He's never going to say that to the media. Vasilevsky just said that. Yeah, that's... Frederick Anderson, to me, doesn't seem like that type of guy that's going to come no. out. Especially on a Lou Lamorello team, you and can't I, come out and thing. say something I think like that if about Vasilevsky, I think if Vasilevsky was playing for the Leafs, he wouldn't say it either. Yeah, the way Babcock and Lamorello and Shanahan run this team, you can't come out and say something like that. He may have well said this behind closed doors in a meeting. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm getting a little tired. Can we can we give, give Mackle a couple more starts? Let me be fresh for the postseason. That is key. Because if Anderson isn't fresh for the postseason, I don't care how good Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Nylander are, they're not winning. He's potentially going to play, if you include the game against Buffalo, the last one they played, three games in nine days. Yeah, they've had some weird extended breaks lately. Yeah, because they play Buffalo, they get four days off, and then they're going to play Pittsburgh tomorrow, and then get three days off play Dallas, and then it's a back-to-back, play Buffalo again. McElhinney will get that start, you have to say. Yeah, because McElhinney technically has two more starts kind of written in stone because they're back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. You can't have 12 more games going to Frederick Anderson. Yeah. Like, can we get it down to nine? Mm-hmm. Like, that, and it, we're looking at the bright side also, going back to Austin Matthews, we're looking at the bright side with the Austin Matthews injury, just saying that he's getting some rest and he'll be back and he'll be fine. But when you look at the schedule they just had, they just played Tampa. Yeah, they beat Boston without him, but they played Tampa. They're about to play Pittsburgh. They're going to play Tampa again on the 20th, and then they play Nashville two days later. It'd be nice to see your full team going up against these playoff contenders in the regular season before you hit the playoffs, just to see how you do. You know? Litmus test? Yeah. Just an eye test, see... Or you don't play your full team, so you don't want them getting an up-to-date look at you going into the playoffs. Uh, uh, that's a that's me playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm still I'm still looking. I'm, I'll be glass half full here and just say, yeah, he's getting a, a decent amount of rest, and then he'll, he'll be back. You know, I'm I'm guessing he'll be back before the end of March. They have three games in April for the end of the regular season. Buffalo on the second the New Jersey, and then finish it off against Montreal at home. That'll be a barn burner. Nice. But uh, who's playing? You think that's just going to be the most ridiculous lineup you've ever seen? 
Isn't it already <laughs> in Montreal? Well, and maybe even Toronto because they, they're going to be probably completely locked by then. Yeah. They're not moving anywhere. They're going to know who they're playing probably by then unless mm-hmm. it's really tight between Boston and Tampa. You're, if you're going to that game, I'd suggest getting a, getting a program because you're not going to know who's on the ice. You know who has to up his game is Placanitz. Since, since he got here, man, he's not been very effective. I don't like the move in the first place. A second round pick? Are you kidding me? Listen, Kirby Reichel and, and Renat Valiev, were, I, I don't, I can't They're, say I was confident with them making the team. I don't know what, what the organization felt. Obviously, not that highly about of them making the team since they traded them. I, I just don't think there was a spot for them. That's me personally. I, I didn't see them making the team. So for them to get shipped out, whatever, it's the second rounder. The second rounder, is Blacanitz worth a second rounder? He's going back to Montreal, chances are, next season. And they had Dominic Moore. Who was lights out. And not to mention the how many wins they racked up before he got here, and then Blacanitz gets here and they lose four straight. And if you're really if you're really concerned about what if Dominic Moore goes down and we don't have that that insurance piece. They had Eric Fair before they traded him for a seventh. Yeah. And he's gone right into the lineup now. You had Eric Fair to trade for a seventh. You thought to clear up um, some room with the contracts to potentially bolster your decor. Instead, you get another fourth-line center who has done nothing since getting here. Yeah, maybe maybe come playoffs, he'll show us why we went and got him for a second. Yeah. We could Thankfully, e- the Leafs had two seconds. Yeah. We could eat our words in a few weeks for all we know. Yeah. But there was also a prospect that came in that deal to the Leafs. Forget his name. Maybe he'll turn into something. Maybe. We'll see what happens. But yeah, so they're taking on Pittsburgh. Next Saturday is against Montreal. Montreal, dude. So they shut down Carey Price, shut down Shea uh, Weber. Patch Reddy's probably going to be out. He's done for the season. Just go for the uh, best draft pick you can possibly get. My God. I- I'm sorry. It's just my-, my phone's buzzing here, and the Browns are making moves, man. What have uh, they done? Well, they picked up... Uh, they just picked up Tyrod Taylor from the Bills. Really? So they have the first overall pick, which everyone thinks is going to be a quarterback, and they just trade for a quarterback right now? Well, there's, they're rumoring. I think they they're got a, taking they're tra- phone calls. they got to the, trade the first now, right? Why would you do you that? You would not just trade for a quarterback right now if you're going to draft a quarterback. Well, I don't know. It, and they just signed uh, Jarvis Landry. They got, they got Jarvis Landry from Miami as well today. How can you possibly see what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz when he was healthy and then think to yourself, yep, I want to shop this draft pick as well. They, Carson Wentz should be a Brown. If, if that organization actually knew how to run things and actually not... And have scouts that actually watch players play football. Right? You're talking about a team that had a trade locked down with Cincinnati at the deadline last season and it didn't go through because they didn't make the call in time to confirm it. Like they're a tire fire of an organization. They're the like, I was gonna say that the Edmonton Oilers of the NFL, <laughs> but there's no comparing the Cleveland Browns. Like anything that's terrible, yeah, they, that is the Cleveland Browns of that situation that they're in. Yeah, but like so they have RG three. Now they have Tyrod Taylor. They can't possibly be drafting a quarterback first overall now. They gotta be moving that pick. It's almost written in stone now. It's almost like it's a conspiracy. It's almost like there's some internal entity. That just wants to make sure that they don't succeed. And they have such good fans. They pack that stadium regardless every year. Just once can the Browns have a winning season? <laughs> no. 
Apparently the answer not. is no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, clearly they're making moves, so I'll have to see what they continue to do. But this is just, I, I had to bring that up. It's just, well, it's, it's so Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, at least we're at that point at one point. Yeah. Look at them now. <laughs> Got to get the right people. Hey, get hey. the right people to come in the and Shanna fix it plan. up. The Shanna plan. At least we're still in the Shanna plan. Brands need, the Browns need a Shanna plan. They do. They should bring somebody on to uh, fix up their organization. Anyway, Leafs taking on Pittsburgh tomorrow. They lost 5-3 to them on February 17th. They have 14 games left in the season. How about that Connor McDavid goal last night in the shootout? It's disgusting. Disgusting. This guy is six points back for the top spot in the scoring race, and he's on pretty much a last-place team. Where would the Oilers be without Connor McDavid? Pretty much where they are right now. Well, they are right now, just worse. <laughs> just there wouldn't be people going, this is just an anomaly. They'll be better next year. If they get the first overall pick. Oh, could you? They probably will, too. They're, they're the, 20, the Oilers, right? They're 26th in the league. But from what we saw last year in the oh, draft yeah. lottery, they could still do it. And, and it's, it's Edmonton. It's Edmonton. It's, in terms of the draft and, and the draft lottery, Edmonton is God's team. Edmonton is the, like, they have a, uh, what am I trying to say? I've complete. I don't. Know. The, the, yeah, you're right. When it comes to the draft, it, it's it's uncanny. It doesn't matter. The, could you imagine Rasmus Dahlin feeding Connor McDavid? Dude, I'd be <laughs> sick to my stomach. They'd ha- the league would have to make a rule. They'd have to make a rule where if you get a certain amount of first overall picks in a certain amount of time, you automatically get knocked out of the top three for two or three years. I don't know about. I, I understand what you're trying to say, but you could always just make it where you can't get two firsts in consecutive years. No, I don't think that's fair either. Why not? You you can't. They're so getting get, they're get, getting rewarded so for being. So if you get a first this year, you'd be if you technically won the lottery again that's next the, year, that's you'd still, get dropped to second. That means that if this te- if that rule was in place right now, they could still get Dalene this year. They got McDavid in fifteen. Yeah. You can't get rewarded for being a tire fire like that. It's a but joke. It's the only way the league works. If you don't reward the tire fires, no other bad team will ever get good. It seems like any other bad team has a better opportunity to actually succeed in the future than Edmonton. And I'm saying this, and they have arguably the greatest player in the world. It's like McDavid and Crosby. Like, what do you want to do? It's 1A, 1B. Right? And they have the, he's the fastest player on the planet, yet Edmonton's the slowest team in the league. They're, they're, they're an absolute gong show. They're a team that they just drafted terribly. They, they, they built, their team around fast wingers. They drafted Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle. They trade away Hall for oh, yeah. Larson. Great, great stat on Eberle and Hall. So Eberle, left winger, has 35 goals this season, I believe. The combined left wingers currently on the Edmonton Oilers roster, I'm talking all four lines, plus whoever's sitting in the press box, have a combined 32. So Hall, more. Mm-hmm. You go over to the right wing where they just traded away Jordan Eberle. The combined goal scores off the Edmonton Oilers right wingers 20 goals. Eberly, 22. It's a gong show. Are you kidding me? They're complaining they about <laughs> how slow they are and how they need fast wingers. You just traded those two names away. Hall for Larson, great trade. And apparently that was the best option, uh, best offer I mean, they got. I mean, I understand they needed a defenseman, but... Oh my. Dude, Eberly for Ryan Strom, too. What? And, and I think a big reason for that trade was the fact that Eberly was abysmal last year in the playoffs, and they just thought they had to move on. But now you have... McDavid making 12-5 next year. You have Drysaddle making 8-5 next year. 
Milan Lucic has five years left on his contract, and it's it, it's not even like people just realize now, like, hey, that could be a bad contract. Like the second he got signed to a seven year deal, I was thinking, are you absolutely kidding me? It was a it was a bold play, Cotton signing Milan Lucic yeah. to a seven year deal. I understand he had other suitors. L.A. was hot for him, and those teams are licking their chops right now, saying thank you, Edmonton, very much. But I mean. At least they're still not being run by Ron Francis, right? Dude, I I am so bewildered with the Edmonton Oilers. It makes no sense at all how you can do that to your team. Did, just, you, did you hear the stat about Ron Francis, the former GM of uh, Carolina, though? That in his, he's becoming the president now? Yeah, well, that's just a, he has no say in hockey. Yeah, his, Basically, uh, they're saying you're fired, but we don't want to actually yeah, fire but, you. So during his four years as GM of the Carolina Hurricanes, can you give just just try to guess how many player for player trades he made? Four years as a GM. I can't think of any. Um, he signed Darling. Zero. Zero. Yeah. He was a GM for four years. He made zero player for player trades. How on earth are you a general manager of an NHL hockey team and you haven't made a single player for player trade? I guess he wants not to- even a fourth liner for a fourth liner. Both aren't liking their scenarios. Let's do a swap and see if it works out. Nothing. I guess he wants to draft and develop. Because when no. you look at that team, you think you might have a foundation in place with Aho and Tara Vinen and the problem is the goaltending. They signed Scott Darling to three he, he years. He was the best available at that time. And that they is, needed, that still they doesn't needed make someone. him a goalie that puts you in the playoffs. That no. doesn't mean anything. No, but Robin they Leonard, a goalie Robin he Leonard, was the best option. Leonard at one point was the best option for Buffalo. I don't even think he's a number one goalie. I think he's a backup at best. Look at the Island Islanders right now. If they had goaltending and some defense, they'd be unbelievable. Back to the Oilers. They got, oh my god, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at their cap, everything they have, all their contracts. Adam Larson, they have for three years after this at four point one six six. Chris Russell, three more years at four million. He's thirty years old right now. I, I don't mind Chris Russell. Everyone says he's a. He's like he's, he's like a t- fifth defenseman though. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a top end guy. Well, might, you, that might be a he's getting some decent money. You're paying him four you're, million you're in the pay, next three years. You're paying him second pair money. While you have Drysettle at eight five, McDavid at twelve five, Lucic for six for five more years, Hopkins at six for three more years, and they can't trade Hopkins now because you're gonna keep Drysettle and McDavid in the same line. You need a centerman to go on your second line. You need some depth up the middle. Look at Montreal and how that screws them. No depth up the middle. I, I, yeah, well, their their caps hurting them, and we were talking about this, trying to anoint that or try to parlay that over to the Leafs yesterday night. I mean, you were just talking, going, "Wow, with a lot of contracts due for the Leafs." I was saying, I really hope when they sit down in the board and they say, "Hey, look at what happened with Edmonton when they paid two players a lot of money, and now they have no one else to play with them." I really hope they say that to some of these Leafs big money earners and yeah. the, your Matthews, your Nylander, your Marners, and maybe they all say. Hey, they're right. If we take, if I want Matthews, if I want my thirteen million or whatever he's going to ask for, that could hurt the overall team. Sure, I'm going to get paid, but we're not yeah, going to be a Stanley Cup do? runner. You're not going to not pay Matthews. No, I'm not you're going to give him the max term that you can give him right away, and you're going to pay him because he's your he's going to yeah, be I the just, captain. I, I just hope that they can talk to him, and he's a smart and reasonable enough young man to say, "You're right. If I take the Kings, if I take the lump sum of our salary cap." Sure, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be the captain of this team, and I'm going to get paid royally to be here. But we're not going to be making any Stanley Cup runs. Yeah. 
I, I really hope they come forward with that argument towards them and say, hey, everyone, simmer, simmer down. You're, you can still live off $12 million just as much as you can live off 13 or whatever they're going to say to them. You, what can't you buy with 12 that you can buy with 13 right? I think he's going to get 12-5. Reason being is the cap's going to go up, and I think agents and players, when they look to sign contracts, they, they look to they, comparables. And they also look at percentage to the cap hit, not the actual financial amount that it is. They'll say, when McDavid signed with Edmonton, it was this percent of the cap hit. And now with the cap going up, it's actually more. So he could ask for more than 12-5 by the time he's signing. But I think because of what you just said with helping the team in their cap space and everything, he would take, I think he would think, yeah, I'm on the same level as McDavid. I don't think he is. I don't think anybody's in the same level as Connor McDavid. No. But he's going to say, Basically, we're the same age, we're at the same level in the league, I should get paid that much. I'm going to be the captain of the team, I'm happy with that. Uh, then you go over to Nylander and Marner, who knows what they're going to do. We were talking about this hypothetical before, yep. you were saying match up all the contracts, they expire at the same time. Yep. Obviously, Nylander has to get signed this summer, Marner and Matthews next summer. Um, imagine the scenario where you sign Matthews to a long-term deal... Nylander's been signed to a good amount of term, and out of the blue, Marner gets signed to like a two-year deal, like a bridge deal. Wouldn't Leaf fans just crap their pants, thinking like, holy crap, what the hell's going to happen? They'd immediately think he's leaving. Like Lou would think, if this doesn't work out in two years and you're asking for too much money, we can definitely part ways with you. Because when does Lou ever budge for anything? Yeah, but Lou has said he's retiring at the end of this year. No, I don't think he did that. He did. He said he's retiring. He said he. I he think there's a possibility he doesn't come back, but he could I, still no, stay. No, he will not. I think he's going to stay, but he might be as a, an advisor. I do believe the GM title is going to switch to uh, to Dubis. Well, I, I do think when he's done, it will go no, to Kyle I, Dubis. That's what I'm saying. I think Lou might stay on as an advisor, but I think he's going to drop the general manager yeah. tag from us. And then Mark Hunter is probably going to Seattle, right? I think there's a good chance he goes to Seattle because he's not if he's not going to be the GM here. Yeah, it's really, there's the two of them lying and waiting. One, they probably know now which one of them is the mm-hmm. the next general manager of this Maple Leafs team, and the other one's going to be looking for a GM job elsewhere. Lou's 75, born in 1942. He was born in the war, World War II. Man, he was born prior to D-Day. Like he he lived through like the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything. Cold War. He's got stories, man. <laughs> Does he ever? Lou Lamorello, Providence College. It'd be nice if he finished where he started here, won a cup here. Well, that's why I say stay on his advisor. Yeah, be part of the organization. He's st- he'll, he'll still have a name in the organization. I just, I think he needs to s- maybe step down from his roles. I'm sure. I don't personally know his family tree, but I'm sure he has some kids and some probably some grandkids that maybe he'd like to spend a little more time with. Yeah. That's very true. He spent a lot of years following hockey teams around for 10 months of the year and then doing research for the other two. Maybe it's time to have a little more family time, you know? Mm-hmm. Over to the Toronto Blue Jays. They beat the Orioles 8-5 to today. Marco Estrada threw just 55 pitches in four innings with one earned run. Devin Travis, a home run, two RBIs. Morales, a home run, two RBIs. Grichik, two RBIs. Looking good. Tyler, Tyler Clippard, 11 pitches and two strikeouts in one inning in his debut. That could be a nice piece to the bullpen, but uh, if Marco Estrada's, if he can be maybe 2015 Marco Estrada again, 
This Jays team could actually be pretty good this year. Mike, don't even tell me you want the Jays to win, man. What? Why wouldn't I want them to win? Because it it's going to destroy their next five to seven years. If they win and go anywhere near a playoff spot, you're not trading Donaldson at the deadline. Well, and then yeah, that's I, that. I understand if if they're good but miss the playoffs, it's the worst case scenario for this Jays team. I'm saying I think they. I mean, Atlanta, advanced analytics has have them being the second wildcard team in the uh, in the AL. Yeah, but what is that? What does that really mean? It's a. It means it's a playoff. You you could possibly make a playoff run, and a playoff run could be enough to make JD want to resign. I don't want him to resign here. If I'm a Jays fan, I would not want him here. Why? Because the guy is 32 years old. Yeah. He's gonna want too much term. I think that's the reason why there's a holdout right now, anyway, and why he decided not to negotiate anymore until after the season. Yeah, you, I don't think it's a money issue. I think it's a term issue. He's 32. Yeah. He's the third baseman. No one wants to lock him down to like a seven-year contract. Yeah, he's going to be good next year. He's going to be good the year after that and probably good the year after that. Maybe not like all-star, all-star caliber, but he will still be a serviceable Major League Baseball player until he's 35, 36. And, and what's, but what's that going to do for the team when you have Guerrero Jr. and Bichette coming up, still kids trying to find their stride and become pros themselves. They're not in a position to need a superstar third baseman like Josh Donaldson. You're wasting the remaining years of his prime on a team that, for the most part, I think will be rebuilding, and and they they won't have the same pieces. It's weird, though, because as much as you want to do a a proper rebuild with this Jays team, they got Estrada and they got... I mean, no, sorry, Estrada. They got Sanchez... And they have Strowman, who are ready right now. I know. They have Roberto Osuna, who is ready right now. They have a lot of players, or their pitching staff. They got some quality pitchers that are ready to make a run. The window is opening for those types of players. So you can't do a three, four year rebuild. You either have to I think you can. go for it, or you, we should be talking about trading those players then. Because by the time you no. do a full five year rebuild, is it really you st- really still going to be in a st- no because Stroman type scenario? The fact that they have Stroman and Sanchez and Osuna are the reason why I don't think it'll be a five year rebuild. But you, you always need a veteran on your team. Why not Josh Donaldson? Why not a guy that because you that's up- an expensive veteran that's going to demand term. It is, but you got to pay your guys. You got to pay up for his next three like, years of good quality JD. For those other, for those last three declining years of JD to compete in this division, do you see what Boston is? What New York is? Yeah, I see. You want to go up against that? And, and listen, I'm not trying to sound cowardly. Look at what the Chicago White Sox have done. They ship out Chris Sale. This is and the they get AL a massive East. Haul. What does that mean, AL East? It means with the big money that Boston and the Yankees have, they're never gonna. We've seen the down years of those two teams. They happen. And what? How long were they? What? Two years. They were down for two years, and they went out and bought another World Series contender teams because that's what those teams can do. That is the payroll. That is the bankroll. They just back the Brinks truck up and unload it to go get guys. I think the Jays can do that too. Rodgers just doesn't give yeah, enough no, the, money. They the have Jay, enough in the budget. Rogers they don't is a, want to do that. That's not how this team operates. It's never been how this team operates, and fans shouldn't get it through their head that it's going to soon become that style of a team. That's not how this Jays team is. It's not how they're going to be. So the Jays have to go for it. There's never going to be a better time. I'm sorry. It's 
is just how no, this works. Man. It's like the LeBron there, there, argument. There was a better time. You know when the better time was? Two 20 years 50. ago. Exactly. It's over now. It's done. Tulewitzki's on a so stupid contract. So are 20 years for the... No, because you have the third best prospect in baseball who just went four for five in his spring training debut. Vlad Guerrero Jr., this guy is a monster. Bo Bichette, two for three, two RBIs in his debut. You have pieces that can come yeah, up in, in the next years, couple of years. In five years, the Yankees and... Red Sox aren't going to be that much worse. Well, you'll have in five years. I, mm. They're just going to have gone out and bought the next big prospect. Okay. The so next big free but, agent. But the Blue Jays at that point will be better suited to have a long-term sustained contending yeah, the, the team. The Jays currently look good in three, four years. We can agree to that, right? Why can't they take a run these next two as well? Because you don't in have order, to mortgage the future you to do, do the now. You do. You do. Why? Because in order to make a run right now in the next two years, you have to sign Donaldson. Yes. That's a lot of money and a lot of term. And with that there's means... There's no salary cap. Dude, but there's a budget. There's a budget. I understand that. But if you're making playoff runs, I think Rodgers will open the book just a tiny bit more. Because they'll... They, they, they didn't dump money on Encarnacion. They wanted you know to. Saying? They offered him a... Con- he, Encarnacion took less money when he went to Cleveland. I know. It's a young man's game. No one's dumping money. Look at what just happened with the Royals. Mike Moustakis, a two-time All-Star, just signed a one-year deal at $6.5 million. Jake Arrieta is still a free agent. No one's dumping term on these aging players anymore, Mike. I have no problem in three years moving JD to a first-base DH scenario. He's still going to be hitting home runs. You don't know that. You don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, I don't know, but as a putting my GM cap on for a second, that's a risk you need to take. Or you could get a massive haul for Josh Donaldson and get young, controllable talent who have arbitration years ahead of them. And w- while you're while you're growing those players, Sanchez, Stroman, Osuna, they can't go anywhere. They're under team control till 2020. They're not going anywhere. You still got them. You can't risk having Donaldson aging and locked down for five more years, you know, two, three years from now, and all this money invested in players that aren't helping you anymore, and then have them get knocked out of team control, and then they can hit the open market and they can choose not to come back. Now is your time to yeah, do a rebuild why, and they can't walk. Yeah, Strowman, yeah, they, they can't walk right now, but if the Jays are rebuilding for the next four or five years and then finally they start maybe on the upswing, Strowman's going to have that opportunity to walk before the, he ever sees his team in the postseason again. If they're on the upswing, why would you walk if you can actually win? Because you can go to the Yankees where you know you're going to be able to win forever because all they're going to do is buy more talent. But if you you can win for a consistent amount of time if you have that foundation in place. This is where bringing up young talent. Look at the last World Series winners, man. Look at what Houston did. Look at what Chicago did, the Cubs. I'm not ready to give up on this season yet, though. The season hasn't started, and you're essentially ready to give up on it. Because you could have this one good season. And it would drastically affect the next five seasons. Yeah, I understand. The best thing that ever happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs was getting was losing in Game Seven to Boston. The best thing that happened to the Cubs was tanking. The best thing that happened to the to the Astros was tanking. There's they a didn't massive tank. issue. They were just terrible. There's a massive issue in the league right now because you have teams like Miami and Pittsburgh that are just having an Atlanta that had a fire sale and the payroll is so low and no one's getting paid because they're trying to tank to build a, a, found, a controlled foundation with players that are under team control and grow and develop from there. And not having players that are 32 years old yet to sign to term. Look at the Angels with Pujols. Look at the Tigers with Miguel Cabrera. It's a joke, man. Yeah, but they're your guys. And look how it's treating them. Look how it's working for them. I, I still, It's a business, man. It's not. I understand it's a business, but you're still going to get three really good years of Josh Donaldson. 
Do you see them winning a World Series in the next three years? I don't see. I don't know. Doesn't matter. It does matter. No, but it what, it does what about, matter. What about the uh, what about how how other players look to your team? In what way? Like free agents? Yeah. Because so many of them sign in Toronto anyway. Exactly. So doesn't Toronto need all the help they can get to show that they, they're they loyal to their team? No, to because their guys? the plan and the philosophy I have is the draft and develop. Screw free agents. Don't even worry about that. Build that foundation with your team to have so that at, when you have... Yes, but every great team, they still need those free agents at some point. And, and you'll get them Ast- when you have the Astros foundation have in place. Astros have to get their Verlander. But, dude, they had the foundation in place. They drafted Correa. They drafted Altuve. They drafted Springer. You get, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they had the foundation. I understand that. But you can still have a Josh Donaldson on your team. You can still have that veteran guy. And did you say Verlander? Yeah. They traded for him. Yeah, so yeah but you still, you had, they went and got him. Yeah, but yeah, it's they, different they, than signing. Yeah, sorry. The Leafs, or the Blue Jays traded for the Whiskey. They traded for David Price. Yeah, but you still need a veteran presence on your team. And I think Josh Donaldson would be a great guy to keep around and to help the younger guys. We're talking about a guy who just brought a boombox out to the field when a school... we got to get into this story really quick. Let's simmer <laughs> down and get into the story. You're talking about the great the great role model he is. The The Blue Jays' spring training diamond is right beside a, like a high school. And I guess for two days straight, they had SATs or whatever standardized test, ACTs. They had them held at that school. And they notified the Blue Jays and asked them to not blast music for that two-day stretch because there's students taking tests. Seems like a fair enough request. Josh Donaldson has like a boom box he comes out with every single day and plays music and just blasts it. And we're not talking like your London Drugs boom box here. We're talking like a high-tech, you would see it at a concert loud. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, yeah. I thought like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. No, like, he was not walking out. It was no? like, it was literally something you would see on stage at a rap concert. So what a... Pre- oh. Anyway, he comes out with it and Gibbons asks him to stop. And apparently they had a whole kerfuffle over it. And they both went into the clubhouse and then Gibbons came back out. Donaldson never came back out. All over music. Because kids are taking ACTs and SATs. You know? Yeah. But that's, was, that's the guy a- you're going to sign for seven years to be your role model? <laughs> I'm, that, just, that, yeah. I'm, I'm just flipping it yeah, on I you. I know. I'm just flipping it on you. But... Yeah, I think in terms, back to the contract thing, the sustainability part, I think you have to create that foundation. I think the Chicago White Sox are going to be so damn good. They're going to be a powerhouse in the next couple years because of what they did. They shipped guys out, and they have that foundation in place. Yo, Moncada, man, what the hell is that pitcher's name? Michael Kopech. Hey, there we go. This kid's a stud. Anyway, that's my philosophy. Hey, we'll have to agree to disagree on this one, and I guess we'll have to see what happens come trade deadline. Because look what look what getting these aging players turns into. It's two years of excellence, like in 15 and 16, and then from that point on, it's just downhill. And, and the, the most stressful part about the Blue Jays in the last year and a half has been how bad their farm system is. They're finally getting it back up to par. I think it's ranked seventh in the league right now. You, like, build on it. Get those guys to come up and be that foundation like the Astros did, like the Cubs did, you know? I don't know. That's my philosophy. And I think it's because I live in Toronto and I just saw the Maple Leafs do it. Whole different sport, whole different uh, universe and reality. But at the same time, I just said it. The Cubs did it and the Astros did it. Look at them now. And guess what? The Cubs and the Astros can come right back this year and win a World Series and next year and the year after. You know? That's why I think that. That's my philosophy. All right. 
You don't agree. And Tiger Woods is going to win again this year. Or get, he's going to win this year. Yeah, we really – what is this, the arguments we've been having for the last two years show? We're a broken record, <laughs> man. What's, what's the next argument on tap, Ty? I don't know. We'll find out <laughs> next week. That's it for us on uh, Homestead Headlines. Thank you again, Mike. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>